This just in, breaking news is breaking out everywhere. Breaking news, though. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. We interrupt this program. This is a national emergency. Important instructions will follow. Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Carmen Maria Machado says it's a modern horror masterpiece. Timely and necessary. This is extreme horror that says something. Listen to it, says Gabino Iglesias. Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Out February 22nd, 2022. Manhunt. 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 From the host of This Is Horror Podcast comes a dark thriller of obsession, paranoia, and voyeurism. After relocating to a small coastal town, Brian discovers a hole that gazes into his neighbor's bedroom. Every night she dances and he peeps. Same song, same time, same wild and mesmerizing dance. But soon Brian suspects he's not the only one watching and she's not the only one being watched. They're watching is the Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. They're Watching by Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella is available from thisishorror.co.uk, Amazon, and wherever good books are sold. Tor Nightfire, publisher of Dark Stars, New Tales of Darkest Star, a novelette collection edited by John F.D. Taff. Dark Stars features 12 brand new stories showcasing today's top horror talent from award winners and new voices like Stephen Graham Jones, Priya Sharma, Usman T. Malik, Caroline Kepnes, and Alma Katsu. Dark Stars is an homage to the classic horror anthology Dark Forces, edited by Kirby McCauley. All you have to do is sign up for Nightfire's monthly newsletter and follow them on social media. At Tor Nightfire on social and tornightfire.com. Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brian LaFaro. Say hi, Brian. Hello, everybody. And today we're talking to the author of These Toxic Things, as well as And Now She's Gone, amongst many other titles, as Miss Rachel Housel-Hall. Say hi, Rachel. Hi, y'all. I love your name. It's like, really, it's one of those... (laughs) string of words where if you say really fast you start getting tongue-tied and it's yeah makes you smile (laughs) thank you (laughs) not my very first book back in 2002 when you know the march toward that and i was uh my my publisher at the time scribner they're like your name's really long you probably you need to cut one i'm like cut hall and because that's my married name and they actually wanted me to cut house probably and it's like no that's that's my name that that's not going anywhere. So oh, yeah, good I, love for my, you. I love my name. There's this uh, 
author that I like, he's got a super long name. He, he writes sci-fi, and it, I had to look up how to pronounce it, but I finally nailed it down. Paulo Bacigalupe, and it doesn't look like that, at least to me. Yeah. And I'm an American, so I'm like an, not to generalize, but like this American is kind of an idiot with names that aren't yeah. like super like English or of that yeah, nature. Well, but have too many syllables, right? <laughs> <laughs> Like he kind of just like Peter Bogdanovich, the was he a director or writer? Yes, it's like I know. Kind of stop after Bogda. It's like then it's a free for all. PP. Yeah. Yep, got it. Yeah, right. yeah. Brennan, jump in after I ask this, please. Um, sure. I'd like to know. Normally, we ask people what got you in horror, but we are having you know people that primarily write crime on here um, too. So. I'm just going to ask this. What got you into writing crime? Well, first, again, thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for making me one of the asterisks, the exception. Um, Sean, Sean Cosby. He has introduced us to yeah. a lot of amazing people. So shout out to Sean Cosby. We love that guy. Thank you, Sean. Um, so what led me there? So I, I'm a native Angelino. And if Los Angeles is good for anything, it's interesting things that happen to people in their lives. And that includes crime. And I grew up in a part of town, a working, uh, uh, working class part of town, Black Los Angeles, uh, in the Crenshaw area. And I lived, grew up in a portion of town that uh, nicknamed the jungle. And it was called the jungle uh, because back then in the 60s, it was very lush with palm trees and very green. And that's why. Hmm. But, you know, it, it became kind of crazy with the drugs and the gangs. And it kind of took on a whole new m- meaning after that. And I was um, a very kind of quietish, bookish kid. Go figure. <laughs> and I was fascinated by like all the the gunshots in the alleys and women screaming and police helicopters. And it scared me, but I was fascinated by it because, you know, I'm, I'm a child of the church and sin is something that if, again, if church is good for anything, it's telling you that you're going to hell. So <laughs> I was always like, why are people doing these things? Aren't they scared of going to hell? Because I certainly was. And then as I got older, you know, and started listening to people talk to each other and intentionally kind of set each other off and just in general, just assholes, I was fascinated by motivations. Like, why would you say that when you know he's going to react that way? So one, you know, growing up in an area where there was lots to look at and lots to be scared of, combined with trying to figure out why people did what they did combined with, you know, reading and disappearing into worlds, you know, across the country, around the world, throughout the galaxy, um, and seeing how writers, you know, took things that scared them or bothered them and wrote about that. So all those things led me to crime. And for me, crime is that genre where you can have religion, where you can have romance, where you can have sci-fi. It's kind of a catch-all wonderful genre that allows you to explore and to experiment. And so, you know, I've been asked before, it's like, are you going to write something that is not crime? I'm like, well, what is not crime? I mean, the Bible is one big crime novel, one, you know, one sin after the other with the Bible. So I, I'm, I'm at home here and living in Los Angeles and loving Los Angeles. Um, 
I have plenty of stories to tell and plenty of motivations to explore. That's awesome. I think that's such an interesting way of looking at it. And, you know, I think horror and crime both kind of have that, uh, stigma, if you will, that mm-hmm. people lump them into less than, you know, less than literary, if you will. Uh-huh. But I mean, if we look at crime as that, you know, exploration of why people do the things they do, really, what's more literary than that? Uh, right. What a, what a way to just understand, you know, the choices that people make in the way they live their lives. Um, uh, you know, and I, and I really do think that you can understand humanity around you, you know, through that, you know, less than genre fiction. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. You know? And that's why a lot of like the masters kind of sometimes tiptoe or dip their toes in to try out a crime novel. I mean, I, you know, have seen many fancy literary fiction writers try and do a mystery or try and write a crime story by adding, you know, so-called literary elements. But for me, it's like, well, it, it seems easy, like writing for people who don't do it seems easy because, oh, it's just you're writing with a pen and a pad and, oh, yeah, I have Microsoft Word, but that's, <laughs> you know, it's like that's that's what we do. A duck looks like it's just simply gliding along a lake, but underneath their little legs are like, do, you know, paddling and and, and that's what we are. And so when other writers who aren't familiar with the genres, like, oh, I can do that. It's like, can you though? Can you tell a story that there's a definite point of view talking about some of the worst things that can ever happen to humans and make it, you know, worth reading and interesting and you don't know what's about to happen. Can you really do that? Mm, not everybody can. I've never thought of it like that. The analogy about the duck, that it's so smart. Like, yes. seriously, that's, or astute. That's very astute. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we all talk, we all write, but it's uh, it's a, a practice thing to reach a certain level. I mean, I'm not going to list them, <laughs> kissing your ass, but your, the list of your achievements as a writer since you started, it's too long to list, but you, you don't get there with the first book you write. I mean, yeah. I, I'll make it short on my end, but I've written, if not 10, 10 close to it now, I haven't published any because I don't think they're good enough. Uh, you know? The thing is, sometimes we don't either. That's the <laughs> kicker. It's like, I mean, I, it's not like I have constant self-doubt. I don't think it's that, but I think good writers know that there's always learning to be done. There are always writers who are better at you at this thing over there. And for me, it's not that I don't feel I'm good enough. It's just, again, I, I can get better and I want to get better and I want to learn new tricks and I want to learn how Sean does what he does. Cause I want to do that, you know? And, and I think that's what it is. And that's why when I'm actively writing a story, which I'm doing right now, I don't read other mystery or crime books because it gets it's depressing because like I can't do that, which means for me, I have to like, well, I'll cut it off. I just won't surround myself in it because then I'll say, oh, it's boring the way I'm telling the story because it's not like how Steph Chaw does it. You know, I don't need that kind of stress in in life, especially since, you know, I've done this now before and people have bought my books and I've been nominated for some things. So I I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, 
But, you know, there's always room to get better. Absolutely. So I look at it like that. Yeah. I just, I was going to save this for later, but we're talking about things you can learn from other writers. Um, I'm coming from a pretty not super knowledgeable spot with this particular book, but The Good mm-hmm. Sister, mm-hmm. You, wrote, you wrote that with James Patterson? Yes, I did. Yeah, how? <laughs> how did that start? It's like, you know, when I'm down on myself for the thousands of things that a neurotic, sometimes crazy writer can be down for, I have to remember that I did that and not everybody gets to do that. Nope. You know, it's, nope. but you know, when you're crossing things off, and those moments where you, you kind of compare your experience with what other people are going through and you look and it's one of those days where the house is dirty and there's laundry piled up and, you know, the bank has said your limit, your, your, your balance is lower than what your alert is. It's one of those days where everything just sucks. That's the day when it's like I need to pull out the good sister and say, Oh, okay, I'm not a complete failure today because I did that thing over there. You know, it's it's a weird, it's a weird, wonderful flex for me to say, <laughs> oh, I did that. I not everybody does that. And that's how I made the New York Times by selling this with that story. And that's the other thing I have to remind myself. It's like, well, I didn't do that on my own. Well, I wrote that story that was a part of, you know, his universe that hit the sellers list. So it's this constant constant reminding myself that I'm doing something. And I, for someone, I think part of my problem is I'm the type to keep lists of things to do. And I'm constantly adding to that list and crossing things out. And I achieve one thing and it's like, what's next? What do I need need to do next? And it's just now that um, between my husband and my daughter who tell me to just calm down look up, look at your things, look at all the books. You just wanted to write one book and now look, just relax, enjoy it. And so I am relaxing and enjoying it. Um, on, was it Tuesday? I received a really cool thing in the mail. Um, I my, my Audible story was nominated for best short story this year. And they sent like a medal, you know, like, a gold medallion type thing. And I wore it all day because it's like, there's a ribbon, which means you wear it. And I'm going to wear this because you know, I, I, I have a day job. And so I get up at 440 every morning to write. And it's like, I'm going to wear this ribbon because this medal, because it's a testament to me getting my ass up every day at 440 to write books and then going on to work at, you know, uh, being a fundraising writer. So yeah, it, I'm going to start doing, I'm doing that more and more. There's a lot to cover there. Brennan got one specific thing, <laughs> then please jump in. What that specific thing is, Um, I try getting up at five and I say try because uh, real quick, my son, like I told you before we started, he's two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started this fun new thing where he's got a big boy bed now and he will start freaking out. Yeah. At like, sometimes three, four, whatever time it is. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten to the point where dad's going to sleep with him. And yeah. for some reason, when that alarm clock gets five, I struggle. So I get to work on time. But um, uh-huh. when the nights are good, I get to wake up at five and I get like 40-ish minutes. And so I'm curious yeah. how many 
do you get an hour in or how long do you normally get before your your uh, daytime job starts? About an hour and a half. The re- I get up early too. And it started with me having a kid. And my husband is the morning parent, which means I had to pick her up. She's you know going to be 18 soon on the 20th. And so I don't have to do that anymore. Take her to school because she takes my car now. Um, but back in the day, I needed to get to work early so I could pick her up which meant that I was up and that was a quiet time. And I would write until it was time for, for a day job. And I give myself the best words um, because my, my mind's fresher. So now I write from 440. Well, I, I feed the dog and the two cats. And then I'm at my desk around 450. And I write until saying goodbye to her, which is like 645. And then I get ready for work and switch pins because that is now my way of designating my day job life and my novel writing life. I switch pins and I write until, I mean, we'll work my day job until three, three thirty-four. Yeah. I, I need that kind of separation. Um, I had up until, you know, the stay at home orders, I'd been very proud of keeping all that like really separate but once we were all told to go home, you know, everything was kind of smushed together. So I was like, well, what can I designate as a work thing? And it was a set of pens and it's been a set of pens. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have a process where, man, I think it was Hemingway. I'm, I'm pretty damn sure it was Hemingway that said something about uh, he just writes his first draft. And then he goes back and edits the whole thing. I used to do that for like the first seven, eight years, and I hated it. That's why I have like 10 novels that probably will never <laughs> see the light of day. What I do now, and I know, uh-huh. uh, speaking of a well-known crime writer, Walter Mosley is one of them. Um, I do what he does. Uh, I write however many words. The next day, I edit that and then write some more. I'm wondering if you kind of are of that uh, camp. Yeah, I write longhand first, my first draft all the way through. It can be total crap and it usually is, um, but I write it all the way through and then I transcribe it, which kind of counts as another draft because I'm rewriting some of it. And then I print it out and I start the second draft uh, where I am now in this current work of in progress. And I hate the second draft. I thought I hated the first draft. I hate the second draft even more because this is where that self-doubt kind of kicks in. You, you know what the story you wanted to tell and looking at this draft that you just printed out is so far from that. And you know, it's like, will I ever get to that wonderful third, fourth draft that I love so much where it becomes art? So, yeah, it takes me, it takes me, for me, it takes me a long time. You know, in the universe, people are like, how are you doing all that with a day job and a kid and a husband? It's like, well, I'm crazy. But it takes me about nine, nine months or so to get it so where I send it to my agent and then you know, she has her edits and then we send to my editors. I, I, I have a lot, I have a lot to throw in, you know, after your back and forth, but uh, you know, I, I had read that you get up at four forty, and that was just that, that blew my mind um, because I mean, you got to think at that hour, uh, I mean, you're bothering the poor birds out there with your pen scratching. <laughs> They're not ready to get up yet. Um, 
But as far as the handwritten first drafts, you know, a comment you made that I absolutely loved uh, was the idea that when you're writing by hand, you're not beholden to grammar. Yeah. Uh, you're not overthinking the construction of a sentence. You're just getting the ideas down on page. Yeah. And to that end, uh, it's it's like jazz. And yes, I would love to hear is. you talk a little bit more about that. Yes, it is. I mean, it really is. It's just you and the stats, the scratch of the pen and your ideas and understanding that this is nowhere near final because it's not even on the computer yet. And then for me, that is freeing. Um, being able to write in the margins and scratch out and switch colors. I every every chapter gets a new colored pen. And that is part of the excitement for me. It's like, oh, I get to use a new pad and I get to use a new pen. Oh, and what are these little tabs? I'm going to use these tabs too. So it's this whole experience for me where I am free to be as awful and as coarse and vulgar and, and misspelling. And it's, it's, yes, it's an exercise of crap in my mind, splatting onto the page. And, you know, in some ways I hate it because I don't know what it is that I'm trying to do, but, you know, I'm finding ways to keep myself engaged and less scared um, because what's the scariest thing coming to a blank page. And it's like, well, what do I put there? But I've learned that, um, when I'm writing that first draft longhand, I will stop, I will write a chapter and then I'll start a next chapter and I'll stop right in the middle of it. That way, when I come back to it the next morning, I know what it is I'm supposed to do. But every morning I look forward to it. I really love writing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, of course, the economics of it is always wonderful. You know, people buying your books and blah, blah, blah. But barring that, I I love the process of writing and figuring out what I believe and what I'm scared of, what I'm pissed off at, and dumping it into this imaginary world that isn't too imaginary because these things happen to people. A lot of my stories are inspired by um real things um yes yeah, so just trying to take these real ideas real fears that i have and making them into you know the thing we do making it into to to art but yeah i i my husband for christmas got me um a remarkable tablet and it is the best of both worlds because it is a digital device but you write on it like it's a pad and it converts the text to it, it converts your handwriting into text, which you then, you know, load onto word or whatever. And I'm using it now and it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And it's going to cut back on um, the time I spend transcribing everything. I notice as I'm getting older, I'm getting a little slower and, you know, that, that kind of sucks when you're trying to write a book on deadline. <laughs> um, so I'm finding new ways to make the process less painful, more enjoyable. Um, but I will, I will always love this process. It's just, it can be hard. It can be hard, especially when 
there are so many great mysteries out there now more than ever, so diverse in every kind of way. And you're reading all this and it's like, oh, this is good. I could never write that. Oh, that's great. I'd never write that. You know, so you're boxing with all that and you're trying to keep reading and all the rest of it. So, yeah, short is a long answer to a to a short story, a short answer, which is, yes, I love writing longhand because <laughs> there are no little red lines telling me how wrong I am. Uh, what, what excites me about that is that, you know, the whole idea that you would put things down, you know, pen to paper, that you would overthink and either delete or, you know, never type out if you were just going straight into the, the word processor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I've got to imagine, and, and you know, I've done this, I wrote, you know, the, the first half of my first book, I wrote longhand, um, and then I got tired. Um, but <laughs> the... Um, but what 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 excites me about it is you get ideas down that you know then when you go to transcribe it you kind of stop and you go huh I I I never would have that never would have made the first cut um you know on the computer yeah. so I'm wondering how much when you do transcribe it you know mm-hmm. forget the magical notepad that you know yeah. takes your handwriting and turns it right into a document but uh-huh. when you take you know notepad and start typing how much does it change usually in that in that second draft. I would say probably only 15% because there's a reason why I wrote that and I don't want to fuck with it too much. Um, There are things that I, I will type out everything. I will type it out knowing that I'm not going to probably use this, but there may be something in here that is good. Um, I'm in my second draft now. I'm I, I don't even put chapter numbers. I just say chapter because I'm still kind of shuffling things around. And there is a chapter that I thought as I was writing it, it's like, eh, I'm not going to write it. I mean, I'm not going to use it, but I still wrote it anyway. And I was right, but I still typed it and it's there. So if I need anything, I know that it, it exists somewhere. I don't trust this, this, this brain much anymore. I'm <laughs> Tired, you know, it's a 52-year-old brain filled with at one point all the college admissions crap that we're going through right now, essays and who did we send what to? When is the date? When is the date? What do you have? You know, all that stuff. I I don't trust my my, my brain all that much. So I write it all down. And in that, you know, I've learned that. Um, just because I don't use it now doesn't mean that it's not going to be used. I mean, uh, my novel and now she's gone. The second story within the larger story was the book that I tried to sell after my first book in 2002. I just didn't know how to tell the story back then. But once I figured it out, it's like I have all that manuscript properly written yes but the idea is there and i can take from that and use it and actually make something good from it so yeah i'm a strong believer in writing it down writing it down because it becomes more real to me and i remember it better i'm that kid who has to write notes to Mm -hmm. remember and to learn i was always the secretary of organizations it's like i i like i like i like writing and i like writing you know so yeah, I only, yeah, about 15% um, actually nice. changes. Yeah. 
I, I love the idea of writing chapters. And even as you're scribbling them down, realizing I'm probably not going to use this, um, you know, uh-huh. as I, the further I go, uh, the more I believe in overwriting and editing yes. later, uh-huh. because uh, you, you know, you, the, the audience, it's the, easier to cut know, than to add. Indeed it is. But like yeah. the people reading your books, they may not need that 10 pages, but you have learned something new about your character that can be yeah. sprinkled in uh, and makes them, you know, more three-dimensional and more interesting along yep. the way. Uh, yeah. I love that idea. And it's like weightlifting for me. I mean, I get to, I, I'm blessed to have had uh, my last three jobs where I write for nonprofits. Um, I, I take very complicated ideas and distill them into easy to understand language for potential donors and, you know, that kind of thing. So my muscle is pretty strong because of constantly writing, constantly writing. It's like I, I've never uh, had a true kind of breakdown where it's like I can't write. I just I can't because my day job is like we need a letter. OK, when do you need it by? Oh, in a day. Oh, in about three hours. And you got to do it. There's no, oh, I'm not feeling it. The muse, the muse, fuck the muse. She's over there. I need to get this done because the executive, you know, of the the CEO of my hospital, he needs it. So, yeah, the 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 actual writing, and even though you're not going to use it, it's still good exercise, and we all need to, you know, keep our minds strong and agile and know how to pivot because. You know, with editors, you sometimes get things last minute. It's like, oh, can you turn this around? We're about to, you know, go to press or whatever. Can you do this quickly? And it's like, yes, of course, because I have that muscle. Nice. Now, I, I, it sounds to me like you are a standard writer in that you always have this many ideas uh, for vision for uh, listening people. I'm, you know, holding my hands very far apart, and you know, only so much time to write them. Um, and, and you say you like to focus on stories that, you know, scare you, that frustrate you, that piss you off. So I, I, t- tell us about your process of, you know, sorting out a group of ideas and, you know, deciding which one's going to get written and how it sticks with you. Yeah, I'll start with um, toxic things. I'll do that one because I've I'm in most of my stories. I'm always thinking about family. And a lot of times family secrets. I come from a very big family and with big family come extra kind of crazy. Um, the stories that you've heard growing up and how they some kind of twist as you get older and, you know, your parents kind of forgetting what they told you and you're hearing a different version of that same story. So I've been thinking about that a lot, especially as my own daughter is getting older and she's starting to learn some of the the family lore on on both sides. So that's always kind of bubbling in my mind, Um, what families say and do and talk to each other and how we all remember things differently. I was a kid who kept a diary from fourth grade to my second year out of college. So I was always kind of fascinated with family history what we did that day, how that argument started, just random days in a person's life. So that's always been in my mind. um, When I started These Toxic Things, it uh, came out of the the pandemic 
had just kind of blown up. It was February and we're seeing, you know, these weird cases in China and now in Washington and what is all this? And people are starting to stay home and away from each other. And we were all like doing projects around what early March of 2020. And I was one of them. And I started cleaning out closets and started remembering things. And my siblings are like, no, I don't think it happened that way. And it's like, well, hmm, interesting pictures. Remember this picture? And I, you know, we, those of us of a certain age have photo albums and we flip through the albums and look through it. Well, my daughter, she's Gen Z. All her pictures are on her phone which to me is horrifying because if you lose that phone or if the cloud dies, all your memories are gone. So I started thinking about, well, what if there's like uh, this young woman who her job is to curate pictures for people and to tell stories about what's happening in those pictures. Mm. And that's where the idea came from for the memory bank, which is where my character, Mickey um, Lambert, that's where she works. She works for a tech company. And then I kind of paired that with, well, she's curating people's memories and their family stories. What if her own family story is different from the, than the one that she'd heard all her life and then throw in, you know, death and murder. And you got to stop, you got yourself a story about, a young woman who works to help people remember when her own story, her own origin story is not matching with what she knew it to be with LA, you know, um, and gentrification. And as a a mom of a, a kid, who's becoming a young woman, who is a young woman, I wanted to tell a story about relationships with how our generation, we're different parents than what our parents were. Our relationships are different. We talk and interact with our kids differently. Um, I'm still her mama, but she's also my friend. And same with my husband. It's like, that's her dad, but they will sit here and play FIFA soccer (laughs) and trash talk. He had her playing Grand Theft Auto when she was like three years old. And I didn't know how to feel about that because I'm a gay. (laughs) And it's like, well, they're bonding. But she's running people over and they're laughing about that. That's kind of weird, but okay. So I wanted to tell those stories because that's how we are as parents. And so all that made it into the book, things that I cherish, which is her and our relationship and things that I'm scared of. I'm, I, as she gets older, you know, especially being a crime writer and being very aware of the evil that people do, I'm extra sensitive to that. And in this book, I wanted to talk about how no matter how much someone is loved and how much they're protected, um, bad things still can happen. So it's me working that out in my mind. Um, so yeah, that's that's from the very beginnings of, huh, pictures in an album versus pictures on the phone, all the way to, you know, what toxic things ended up being. Now, is that totally from your imagination, that type of um, service, let's say, or is there any basis in reality for that? There was a basis. There's some basis in reality. Um, a long time ago, there was this tech company who they were trying to take pictures, just pictures, and write narratives about that. 
and that they went away. Part of the tech boom, nothing happened. Um, and then there are companies, and we did this, there are companies who will take your old uh, VHS or Super 8 tapes and digitize them, mm-hmm. but there's no story element. So you're, you know, you're watching it, but it's like, there's no story there. So I want it to take that kind of technology where it's like, oh, digitized memories, but actually put some kind of context of what it is that we're, we're watching. Um, so I, yeah, in the hologram, I came up with, with, with that too. And, and I really loved the um, storytelling device of that, how it, it's almost like, um, oh my gosh, the word has slipped my mind, but like, you know, uh, when you're, when you're reading like a letter in a story or something, epistolary. Oh, epistolary. yeah. yeah. It, it, it's almost like a little bit of that inside. And yeah. uh, not only that, but you get these really, you know, uh, nifty illustrations. illustrations. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they're so cool throughout. I was so it's happy nice little... when they said that they'd include them because I, I, I didn't do the final ones, but as I was mm-hmm. writing, you know, I did them and then I had my daughter draw them and that's what we submitted. Uh-huh. And so when they're like, oh yeah, we're going to have the illustrations. I was like, yes, I love that because you know, it, it makes it, yeah, epistolatory and it makes it an artifact. And, you know, what are we if we're not artifacts? We are tchotchke people. We go to on vacation and we collect things, the refrigerator magnets, the lighters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, well, we, we have, there's one tradition my husband and I do that we start when we were dating. We buy a Christmas ornament that represents our year. And Sometimes as we've been married now for 26 years and it's like, why did we buy this one? Oh, this is why. And it's like, oh, it would be great if there was some written record, like for my daughter's kids of why Nana bought that weird little birdhouse looking ornament, you know? That's awesome. Um Yeah. But no, like I said, I love the way it, it almost kind of like breaks it up. It's like another variation of like the section break of the of the book, the chapter break. Um, uh, not not to get into spoilers, but, you know, there's there's uh, viewpoint changes um, mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, oh, OK, I've hit another. Uh, we're, we're unpacking another artifact here yeah. uh, that I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, one you. thing I did want to ask you about. In the acknowledgments, you talk about how this this book compared to some of your other works, um, it almost sounds like you were worried about it, like it's a little too weird, twisty, and different. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that process. <laughs> um, part of that stems from um, when I went out, when my agent and I went out with this into the world, um, we decided that. Uh, we wanted to go out broader than just the pub- the wonderful publishers who published my Lou Norton novels, and now she's gone and they all fall down. And some of the feedback that I got from editors who, you know, had previously like, oh, we love your stuff. It's so twisty. We love your twisty stories. When they read it, they're like, this is too twisty. It's like, but that's, <laughs> that's what I do. That's why you like my stories. And they'd only kind of read um, the first 50 pages and like a really, really detailed synopsis. And so in synopsis form, yeah, it looks really complicated and maybe not make sense, but 
I mean, if I read the schematic of a DC-10, I'd be like, there's no way that that thing's going to fly. It's metal. How is it going to fly? Because I'm reading something that I don't understand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I was told that it was too twisty and that I'd need to rewrite a whole bunch of it. And it's like, well, no, I mean, no, I don't even really kind of know what the story is. And I, um, so that's what that came from. And, but hearing that after proving myself over a course since 2014 for this crime stuff, proving that I could pull it off and still hearing no, or that doesn't make sense, or we're not going to take the chance. It really, it bothered me. Um, It broke me in some ways because I thought, oh, I've arrived and that wasn't true. Um, But I believe all things happen for a reason. And Thomas and Mercer, when they read the story, well, Forge loved it too. But when Thomas and Mercer, um, my editor there, read the synopsis, the same thing that everyone else had read, she got it. They got it. And they were excited about it. And they saw just how different and, but not so different that people wouldn't understand it or appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they did and that they had confidence in me and gave me a chance because people love it and they connect with it because, yeah, it's a little strange in that there are these little vignettes in there, but it's the story of a girl, a young woman trying to figure out who she is with parents who love her in the city of Los Angeles, which is a pretty basic story. So, yeah. 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 I could imagine one of the issues being that, you know, it's got that surface tagline, but there's another tagline that I found so unique that you can't tell anyone for fear of spoilers. <laughs> I'm, I'll try and like figure what that is. Oh, I'll be happy to tell you afterwards. I wouldn't okay. put it on here, but um, yeah. you know, I, I just, I, I got to a point and I said, that is so unique and it's, you know, it ties completely into the main um, you know, idea of the memory collectors and and everything like that, but it, it you you can't advertise it as such without you know ruining the whole book, unfortunately. So, um, <laughs> well, and you know that, that that sucks for me in some ways, but I really like onion stories. You know, where mm-hmm. people think they're getting <laughs> one thing and they peel it away and in a way, and it's like, oh, this is all this is wonderful, but. Oh my, what is happening? And then you realize that I've been building all this, all this time and you're soaking in it. You know, I love those types of, stories. I like reading and watching movies that kind of do that where you think everything's cool and you're just, you know, they're just telling you these things and you find out, oh my God, I've been in this mess all this time and there's no way out. I'm dying right now. You're saying that. So I like I like writing stories that seem so kind. It's that duck thing again, where you're like, oh, we're just going along and she's collecting these things and writing these stories. And it's like, yeah, you have no idea what I'm trying, what I'm about to do to you, because I think that's what life is. I mean, March 2020, we all thought two weeks that we'd be done with this and we were soaking in it. And little did we know just how deep and awful it would become, you know, well, yeah. it already had, it already was bad. 
We just didn't know how bad it was. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go a little bit back to when you talked about your husband and your three-year-old playing uh, GTA. Uh, quick comment. I just think that he sounds awesome. Sounds like a fun he guy. Is awesome. And <laughs> he's awesome for realizing just how awesome I was because when we met, this is how deep I was in. I had my own Sega Genesis. I was that kind of hardcore back in 1995 or something Love like that. Love that cover. 94. And, you know, he. we have all the game systems. And our first, our first um, Valentine's, he did the whole Valentine thing and paid extraordinary amounts of money for the same crappy salmon that you get any other time. <laughs> and he's like, please don't make me do this again. And so I've never made, the agreement was, I won't make you do Valentine's Day, but I need other stuff throughout the year. And he's like, I can do that. And he'll bring me games and he'll sit and watch me play Fallout 4 for the like 12th time. And I'll watch him play what random game. Hey, you know, we have that kind of and we have that kind of relationship. And he outside of my agent and my editor, he's my only reader. Wow. Um I trust his vision. He, rem- I, you know, back in the day when we were first dating, we sit in my studio apartment and I read to him my bad prose and he does, you know, designs my website and, you know, he sent me to my first voucher con. So it's been a very kind of, we're in this, he's a creative too. So he gets hmm. it. Um, he's visual and, you know, we've, We've watched each other grow and he knows that if I succeed, then our house, the Housel Hall house succeeds. Our daughter will be okay. And, you know, she gets my daughter, she gets to see her mom doing the mom thing, but also keeping a part of myself that is all about me. And that's Mm -hmm. the writing thing that will never change. That is who I am, no matter if I'm her mom, I'm his husband, my day job persona, I still have this part of me and I want her to see that. It's like, you may be a little tired, you know, doing this thing that you love, but if it's something you love, you know, you should hold on to that and look forward to having that in your life. And you should be with someone who appreciates that, who doesn't feel threatened by that, who is excited that you're excited about that thing that has nothing to do with them. So yeah, it's it's been a big life lesson. Um, it's been an ex- exciting journey. You're speaking to my soul. That's amazing. <laughs> really, because if uh, Brennan and I, we, our wives aren't first readers. They don't read much of our stuff. And well, I read. I, I read my stuff to him because <laughs> okay. Yeah. For a while, I heard mainly writers say that, and <clears throat> I wasn't thinking anything bad of my relationship. But I could see how that might translate as such to some writers. Um, but it's, it's a good reminder, you know, like you, that's awesome what you guys have. Um, but I like to bring that up, too, because uh, I feel like it's a lot more common than I thought it was originally. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago, whatever, when I started or whatever yeah. it was. Um, that's really great, though. And about the photo thing. hmm. After my Nana passed in 06, uh, we were going through her stuff. Yeah. And my family found a photo album, black and white. We presumed to be of her growing up in the 20s and the 30s or 
thirties, forties. I might be mixing up my decade, but uh-huh. no idea who any of the people are. We're just guessing because she never talked about it because she came from a period uh, where she's a second generation Irish family and mm-hmm. um, around the time of the great depression. So it explained why there was so much stuff hoarded. And I, yeah. we believe it also explained why she didn't say much. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out there because it's it's weird. Like, I want to know. Is you that my family? Yeah. Yeah. Who is that guy? You know, and that's a, and that's what's fascinating and horrifying. Yeah. Because again, you find out, wait a minute, if I do the math, some things are adding up. This makes no sense. And Nana's gone. And now I'm hearing the truth or I'm guessing the truth. And, you know, a lot of people are doing 23andMe and Ancestry.com. And they're finding out that they have like secret sisters and secret brothers. And, you know, Papa was a Rolling Stone. And that's, (laughs) again, fascinating and horrifying because this is the truth of, you know, and, you know, I, 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 I tell I talk to my siblings about this all the time. It's like, you know, our kids don't realize we were people before we were parents. Mm. And as a 52 year old, you know, I'm realizing my parents were people before they were my parents and that's good. And sometimes that's horrific because it's like, well, who is that person? And when we're at church, why are they looking at you crazy? And what is the story? You know, it's, it's so it's it's fascinating and yeah. it's ripe for crime and horror together. <laughs> but yeah, cool. no, those pictures wouldn't it have been wonderful if there'd been like a, a a diary or something to be commentate uh, commentary alongside those mysterious pictures that she kept. I'd love to know because her husband, yeah. my papa, he was uh, he was World War Two and. I wish I knew anything beyond that about him. Besides, he was a Navy boxer. I'm like, I want those stories. His father yeah. was a yeah. boxer in World War One. I'm like, I wish I could know those stories. Well, and it's weird because I remember when I started my own diary. I think a lot of girls especially started doing diaries when we ran the Diary of Anne Frank. And that was third grade, third grade or so. And it was... You know, it was one of those kind of touchstone moments where you're like, this girl, she kept a diary and now we're all reading it. And maybe my life will be as significant of her uh, as hers if I keep my, you know, it's one of those weird kid things where you see something and read something and you immediately place yourself in that situation. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's just now that I remembered because I have that up on my bookshelf, my, my copy of that, um, of wanting to collect and remember things. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's crazy to think um, maybe I'm just, my ADH brain's going to this place and you guys are like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? But I'm going to say it anyway. I'm used to it. Say it anyway. (laughs) I think that book for beyond obvious reasons is, something that should be studied for younger people, especially because she literally dealt with Nazis that were yeah. killing her, her people, her people. Uh-huh. 
And at the end of it, she has the most powerful message and it's hope, love, and basically um, just, she still has hope for a human, the human species. And isn't it kind of fucked up that a girl dealing with actual Nazis feels that way, but you go online, you you could go right now in any topic and grown ass adults in very uh, good living conditions can kill each other over the dumbest shit. And that's why we write crime, trying to figure (laughs) that out. That is why we do what we do, because it doesn't make sense. And we try and try and try with book after book after book to make it make sense, because it doesn't. And for some of us, we can't just be okay with that. Mm -mm. You know, it's it's miserable sometimes not knowing how to turn it off sometimes. I mean, I am learning. I will, you know, pick up. Again, Fallout 4 for the 30th time and will play just to make the, the talking in my head and the rage that I feel to make it stop for the moment. But yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And in in art, we get to kind of address the ridiculousness of life sometimes. Mm. I am. Um, I found out especially and I've said this before on the show, but especially you brought up Rainbow Family often. Uh I write about kids dying in very horrible ways. And it's not, it, it's weird. Cause like, I feel comfortable talking about it here. Our mm-hmm. listeners are, you know, readers at the very least or mm-hmm. writers. So they get it, but um, that's my biggest fear. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and, that, and how do you work through that? You write about it. Right. Cause I mean, like <laughs> I haven't dealt with a lot of bad stuff with my kid, but I mean, like I pulled them away from the road before when a car was coming towards them. And that's like one of my absolute worst fears. So I just played out on page and I, I, I hate it, but I'm, I'm also mesmerized by it. And I, it's a weird combination of emotions. Yeah, no, same here. I, um, we'll walk, be walking down the street and I see a car coming toward us and I write the story in my head and, you know, I, We'll put her on the other side because for me, I'd rather I get hit than her. But yeah, it's it's all the time. And in some ways, you know, it is exhausting, but you know, she's prepared. She knows scenarios because she's grown up with her mom who's like, so we I remember when she was growing up, we drive past like something going on with ambulances and police cars and all that. And I'd ask her to tell me a story. What do you think happened there? And she will, she will tell me, you know, she will write the story with me. And yeah, because I I want her to kind of think ahead. I, she knows not to walk by herself with earphones in her ears because you actually need to be, you don't want to be that zebra, you know, the zebra over there and the lion is watching you and you're away from the herd and, the zebra gets eaten. I don't want you to be the zebra. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's she's aware of her surroundings more than a lot of um, seventeen-year-old girls. That's, which that's, doesn't mean that she's safe. Which no. is why I wrote toxic things. It's like you can do all the things right and still and still. Yeah, that's a very good point. I want to jump to something that I think is absolutely just. I don't know how I'd react if I was in your shoes. Yeah. Don Winslow, hands down, one of the. Hands down. Uh, hands down. Man, I want to say 
one of today's greatest crime writers. I think it's fair to say that. And yeah. um, he's got, for those that don't know, he has a book club. And it's a new book pick, a thriller pick, and a classic. And the one that you're in, Rachel, for And Now She's Gone, which is one of the many things on that long list I mentioned in the beginning. <laughs> uh, so your book, And Now She's Gone, is on that list for the thriller pick, the new pick, which I haven't read this, but it actually, I've never read anything by this author. It looks really great. Uh, Colson Whitehead. Oh, yeah. Harlem Shuffle. Yeah. You got to get on that, man. I saw a few of his books. I'm like, why haven't I read these yet? I haven't read Harlem <laughs> Shuffle yet. I've read everything else by Colson because when that came out, um, I was, I'm actively writing and it's like, the yeah. last thing I need to do is freaking read Colson Whitehead. I can't do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and for the classic pick, which I haven't read this one either, but uh, it is on my list. A Long Goodbye by Raymond Chandler. Oh yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to. So yeah. first off, uh, how did, how did you get, do you know how you got picked for that? No, it was, <laughs> it was a wonderful, you know, I, I am that kind of creature where I, I am such a cynic and I straight underplay everything because I don't like being disappointed. So I just kind of keep my head down and write and kind of poke out and do the, but, you know, I'm a, a Don Winslow fan and I follow him. I met him briefly at um, a Los Angeles Times book prize ceremony uh, when I think Land of Shadows came out. Mm. And, you know, he didn't probably remember me because everyone's saying, oh, Don, you're so great because he <laughs> is. Um, but I don't know. And when I found out, I, I was over the moon. Because again, he's a hero of mine. Mm-hmm. I love his cartel border stories. I, I think, and I think he's just an awesome person anyway. So to be chosen, it's black magic. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm always so very appreciative and and astounded when I'm selected for anything because I try not to expect anything. I I try not to get excited about stuff. I mean, I've been disappointed a lot as, you know, growing up, I, I, I've kind of worked hard for everything. I am not the one to win anything. Like I won, I actually won a lunch, you know, where you put your car, your business card in a little fishbowl at a restaurant. I won once. And that's like one of a handful of times when I've ever won anything. So I'm that person. So it's like, I, I don't go into things looking to be feeded or anything learning about the audible thing i got the email and i'm always and i like the same thing with la times book prize i always think they must have made a mistake <laughs> it says Howzell because there are rachel halls but it's like okay yeah. no i'm always caught off guard by those things because i don't expect people to um celebrate anything i've done or written and that sounds horrible but it's how i feel you know it's it's really it's a it's good easier to it's easier to be pleasantly surprised than to expect something and not get it it's a good that. attitude to have not to expect it <laughs> Brandon, go ahead but i was just gonna say we would have been perfectly okay with it if you showed up with the audible medal on today oh see now is is <laughs> And I, I, after I wore it all day, I placed it besides, besides um, a, a picture of my sister and I as 
five and six year year old. So yeah, it's it's in a place of honor now. So yeah, like like uh, the ceremony for that is March fourth, and I'm not you know as I'm going into it like that would be great. It'd be really great if I won, but I you know it's not being a pessimist, but I guess it is. It's more like I've never won anything, so why would I, I want anything now? But then it's like, okay, but you were nominated and that's really fucking cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, how many people were nominated? They're all, bu- so it's that constant kind of alchemy that I do to, um, to, to not hype myself, but to, to be excited about something, even if it, the, the outcome is disappointing. But then again, it's like, why is that disappointing? You were nominated. Yeah. But that's 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 what it is to be this type of this this personality. Hmm. I just said, uh, you know what? I was wondering for your job, are you still an assistant director uh, development for the American Civil Liberties? No, that Union? is so freaking old. I was with that's the a HL- mouthful to say. Yeah, um, I was with the ACLU um, back in 2000, from 2000 to 2007, but it was on, you know, that bio was on the back of my first book, which Google captures, and they will not change it. I have asked them people, I'm like, I was 30 years old back then. I am now 50s, whatever. And they're like, and it's like, okay, fine. So no, I am not that. I am um, the lead communication specialist at uh, Cedar Sinai Medical Center, which is you know the big fancy hospital um, out here where the stars have babies and sometimes die and get their their treatment. So yeah. <laughs> oh God, a mix of beauty and horror. Brennan, go uh-huh. ahead, buddy. Unbelievable research, man. Research. Uh, speaking of research. Um, I have read that uh, Stephen King is an inspiration of yours. Uh, mostly and I see because of, of uh, yours that I have. You see that yeah. by the pencil. There's, there's, there's a couple up there. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, what what I loved about that is that it's because of his ability to write accessible characters and stories, you know, to tell something that, you know, the we were talking earlier about literary versus genre and to tell a story that, everybody and their mother can read and relate to. Um, and you, you'd said that, you know, he writes Maine, you write LA. So what I'm curious about is what is it about your work? What, what makes an LA story, um, whether it's in general or to people who have never been, how do, you know, how do they, um, how would somebody who is not familiar with LA relate to an LA story? One thing I love about the city and what makes an L.A. story, especially for and I write native stories, people who were born here and live here, not transplants. That's a whole different. And that's what makes an L.A. story for me. It's you you were born here and you see the city as a home, as your own kind of small town. And it is actually Um, it's people, especially natives, are chill about L.A. You know, we were. The Super Bowl, we were so thrilled to see, you know, Compton and all these landmarks that we grew up with. Just Tams. I've been to Tams in Compton and I grew up with Tams when we moved to um, 
their central avenue there is a tams there and it's not a fancy place but they make a damn good burger and some pastrami and to me that's what la is it's this kind of like just going through life enjoying basic good food um, with relationships with people who are just trying to get from one place to the other and have a good time maybe you know but chill my older brother who moved to um, Oakland when he comes back home he always says even the ugly people in LA are beautiful and I think that is more we kind of don't care what other people are doing it's like New York, whatever. I'm going to be over here at Tam's with my burger and maybe we'll go to the beach or maybe we'll go downtown or maybe we'll just stay home. My L.A., um, you see a helicopter and you wonder where it's going. But then you're like, oh, I'm about to run into the back of this person because I'm on the four or five or the 10. Your life is dictated by getting from, you know, using the highways. Your life is dictated by uh, police chases. You don't get excited seeing celebrities because you grew up with, I mean, I have friends who went to school with Snoop, you know, and they're like, oh, that Calvin, you know, you're, you're not like, ah. that's, so, that's so fucking I mean, cool. <laughs> we got excited when LL Cool J was in Roscoe's, but LL Cool J was, is hot. And you kind of like do that with any like big hot man who enjoys good fried chicken, you know? So it's like kind of like laid back and interested in getting places safer and where can you hang out and oh is there another fire it's really chill and unpretentious and recognizing that there are so many different other neighborhoods and you're interested in them but not kind of really because oh I have to get on the freeway to get there you dictate how you feel about somebody by either you're going to pick them up from LAX or you're going to get them from the Valley. If you do those two things, that means you're in love. That means you care about them. So that is LA. Um, Drive-by, growing up drive-by shootings and knowing the people who are doing the shooting and the victims, that's LA. Um, Living in a neighborhood where there's like Korean Americans over there, Ethiopian Americans over there, black folks, and a gentrifying white couple. That's LA. It's this big, big buffet of all kind of random shit together near the ocean, not giving a damn what's going on in Manhattan. Not at all. So that to me is an LA story, an LA native story where you're just existing and you have opinions about who has the best taco, who has the best hamburger, and what's the best way to get downtown. And that's an LA, that's Angel, that's an Angelino to me. Excellent. Uh, congratulations on your Super Bowl victory, by the way. Yes, that, was good, was that was a good so game. Cool. It was it a good was. game. My, my Patriots are going to take a year or two off and, you know, let a couple other people win Super Bowls <laughs> and then we'll be back. Uh, yeah. that's, what, that's what we're going to tell ourselves for the next 40 <laughs> years, man. Indeed. Yeah. And the poor Rams, because it's like, oh, yeah, the Rams. Oh, yeah. Chargers. They're with us. And that's another LA thing. It's like, you know, yay, sports, but we have we have so much here to celebrate and to not celebrate. And it's cool. We don't have a real downtown. I mean, we have a downtown, but there's different downtowns. We have downtown Culver City, Westwood. We have, you know, it's just 
so much and you know it takes forever to get to all those places so you don't <laughs> go anywhere yeah I now, my one of my best friends who is a transplant uh, i used to live in massachusetts near where brennan lives and he's a transplant to massachusetts from uh i forget the exact town but it's right he's a um he's a pats fan but he's also a uh a chargers fan mm-hmm. that's that's his hometown and he, when you were talking about uh transplants it just kind of made me think of him uh uh, that that's it. There's no one yeah. beyond that. Brennan, go what? Go take us away. I can't talk now. <laughs> All right. Off the back of that, the the segue to that last question. You know, because so many of our listeners are uh, avid horror fans, I have to ask you a really unfair question. Uh huh. If you if you had to pick a top King book, or you know, I'll be slightly kind and like you, maybe a top three. Uh, what would you go with? Top three. Uh, misery. Mm-hmm uh ret was it Resur- resurrection was it resurrection and revival no it's he wrote two books and they like have kind of if you put the covers together oh oh just des- desperation. Desperation. And, and desperation. Yeah. right yeah uh so misery i love those covers regulators so cool. and um actually the mist Mist is a good one. Yeah. yeah. Classic. Yeah. Excellent. Three. Good choices. What are, what are you well, and, Okay. And then it also, because yeah. it captured, I was always scared of clowns, but he kind of like made me feel okay with that. So, because <laughs> Pennywise is the devil. So, as are all clowns. What are your three, Brian? Oh, we're doing this. All right. Yeah. Um, Fuck it. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got to go with Salem's Lot. That's, you know, an easy one. Um, I, I, I got to throw it in there. You have to. And then I'm going to absolutely cheat and say The Dark Tower. You know, oh. it's like eight books. <laughs> oh, I never got into The Dark Tower. I tried again, but it's like, hmm, can't. So, I can understand that. Like, yeah. It's it's a it's an undertaking, and if you just jump into the first one, it's I don't know. You 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 got to jump in with both feet and be prepared to read like you know seven king length books. So yeah, so yeah. When I retire, I have them. I, I just did a huge audit of all my 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 books, and I I, I kept all of my Stephen King books. Yeah, my three. Would actually, you know what? Now that you brought up the Dark Tower, I stopped at four because it was just so long. It was an amazing book. Um, but number three, the third one, no, the second one, sorry. Uh, the drawing of the three. That's why I mixed it up. It's where he goes through different doors, and that one's just full of crazy shit. That it, <laughs> and eleven twenty-two sixty-three. Oh, yeah, that's that's a contender. Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that more than I thought I did. I was kind of resistant because it's like, historical. Mm, how is this going to, what is this going to be? But then it's like, oh, oh, okay. Because they yeah, go back yeah. to Derry too. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I recently re- reread that. There's definitely parts that get bogged down a little bit with the historical, like, you know, here's what Lee Harvey Oswald was doing, you know, six months prior. It's like, oh, that's not interesting at all. Steve. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the characters that he bases it around Jake and Sadie, I mean, he just brings them to life. Like they carry that story. Kennedy doesn't matter in that one. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, I like that more than I thought I would. So let's jump to what are you currently reading, uh, Rachel? Well, it's not mystery or crime. I am reading um, Cloud Cuckoo Land by oh. Anthony Doerr because mm. I loved um, All the Light We Cannot See. That is mm. one of my favorite books of all time. And so I am reading that and it's luscious and it's beautiful. And again, it's like, how can I, how can I write like that? How do you write like that? I've, my daughter kind of rolls her eyes because they'll, they'll, I'll read her passages. I'm like, isn't that beautiful? And she's like, mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <is> really nice. <laughs> That's funny. Um, that book cover and the name. Yeah. It's really, they're so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon, what are you reading, bud? Um, I am reading, let's see, for an upcoming episode of our other show, uh, Unburying the Dead, I am reading The Other by Thomas Tryon. Uh, it is um, kind of this uh, evil, it, it, it's the quintessential evil twin, uh, you know, novel that mm-hmm. I guess sparked, you know, some of those uh, movies that we saw in the 1980s. Yeah. And it's kind of cool because it's intercut with you know you've got this third person story intercut with this first person narrator that i am assuming at some point there's going to be some sort of reveal there but it almost feels like the author stepping in and you know asking me to watch out for things be like hey i know you trust this twin but hey watch out for this one um it's it's kind of a cool little narrative device um okay so i'm about two-thirds of the way through that one um, I also just finished uh, Rowan Hills. I think it's in the Arctic Sun. I might be getting that title wrong. Um, she is an awesome author. She is Australian American. Lives in Italy. A uh, little bit of wanderlust in her. Uh, really, really nice woman and a hell of a writer. And I uh, this this book comes out from DNT Publishing later on in February. Uh, and I think people are really going to like it. She's done some very interesting things with the, with the choices she made in there, some unexpected uh, stuff that really set it apart. Um, but as far as, you know, beyond vague teases, it takes place in Alaska uh, at that time of year where the sun never really sets. It kind of mm-hmm. has that um, Christopher Nolan's insomnia vibe. Yeah. To it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, and she nails it. It's very atmospheric. You know, she set it there and really played to that strength. Um, but it's, um, it, it's very psychological. And again, oh. I think people are really going to dig it. Cool. Patrick, how about you, sir? Uh, yeah. I'll keep it short and sweet. Joe Lansdale's upcoming book. Ah, uh, yes. happened letter. Speaking of crime. Um, so I got that physical one. And I don't have it with me right now. It's up in my room. But Don Winslow's upcoming Sea on Fire. Yeah. Um, and then I just started for an audiobook, book three of the Happy Leonard series. Uh, it's called The Two Bear Mambo. Um, I just love it so much. It's a cool take on crime. And it's got that sense of humor. It's a buddy picture for those that aren't familiar. It's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the crimes are handled uniquely and the more i read those the funnier joe becomes to me that's 
that's all I got. I could go on forever cool. about him. Um, listeners, we have a website. If you have not been to it and want to, it's deadheadspace.com. We have reviews, articles, a store. Check it out if you're interested. Um, next episode, 134, is with Duvay Knox. He is the author of The Pussy Detective. That's right, The Pussy Detective. It's a uh, noir. It, uh, you know what? Just listen to it if you're interested. I- I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not trying to be flippant, but I'm not going to explain the synopsis. I, I have a feeling he's going to be able to categorize it far better than we will. Yes, yes, he will. Um, which he's a big fan of uh, Biggie Smalls. I meant to mention. Yes. Um, yeah, and I meant to ask you about that on uh, um, for for now. She's gone. Um, I just I think he's he's just a remarkable artist. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, his his poetry and, and Excuse rap. Excuse the panting, my goat, my old golden retrievers up, and she's like at the she she she's having gastric distress. Oh no! Who are you? Yeah. Uh, where can people follow you? Huh? Where can people follow you? Um, at on Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, at Rachel Housel. And for those who don't like Twitter, I have a website, www.rachelhousel.com. I definitely mispronounced your name earlier. So I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've heard it all kind of, again, syllables, emphasis, different syllables. Yeah. People down here in Jersey cannot pronounce my last name either. So I, I guess I get it. Um, and do you have any final thoughts? No, just, you know, everyone keep reading. There's so much to read. Uh, diversify your reading because that's one, it supports all of us writers. And two, it just makes you more of an interesting person. So thank you for inviting me. Um, I Absolutely. had a wonderful time talking. I'm going to go for you, Brian, for once. Um, I want to thank you for being on because you're, you're an absolute delight. Sean has recommended only just the nice people um, that write really well. Uh, I don't know how that comes off. Uh, I mean, nothing but a compliment to everyone. Yes. But yeah, just yes, yes. He, he's got great suggestions on people that write damn good books. So, Brian, take over, sir. I, you know, obviously I want to thank you for your time. Appreciate you spending your Thursday night with us. Uh, great, great insights on both the writing process and on the way uh, life impacts what you put down on the page. Absolutely loved having that conversation with you. you. And people who have not gotten to it yet should absolutely check out these toxic things. Uh, fantastic August release. You can get it right now. Yay. Cover. Thank you. Rachel, thank you. Listeners, thank you. Brennan, thank you as always for joining me, buddy. And uh, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. My daughter turns 18 on Sunday and we're having like a house party on Saturday night and then fancy dinner on Sunday. And we're having family come in since 2019. So I have madness whirling all throughout the house today. So have you forgotten how to entertain large groups of people in your house? Yes. Since 2019? <laughs> yes. I have to go I to the that. grocery store and I'm like, well, oh, I have to feed people.
bowl. Yeah. Oh. How do I yeah. how do I buy for more than four people? Yeah. And I was like, we were the party house. So I am I am rusty. So I'm gonna be in the grocery store, like, well, how much bread? Oh, to- I had to go toilet paper. It's like, yeah. So it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be fun, but yeah. So does it feel like everything went by like that with your now grown childs because my boys my boys too and i just it feels really quick yeah it's like i remember um because she was a planned c-section and Mm. it's like the third this thursday 18 years ago i was getting my nails done and my eyebrows done and now here we are yeah it goes quick high school really went by fast because she had one normal year of high school in ninth grade and then the rest, it was COVID. And so, yeah, it went by. It's, it's gone by really fast. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, my, That's okay. Let it out. Let it out. <laughs> my, just real quick. My wife, uh, she, she's like, hey, an hour before I had to go to work, she woke me up. She's like, hey, I think you have to take off. I'm like, what? What's happening? And she said, I think I'm. I think it's time. And then she's like very non nonchalant about everything. Yeah. And, and she wanted to stop at the local convenience store here to get a sandwich. I'm like, what are you talking about? Where's the, the hospital lady? Yeah. Oh, man, I, 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 I totally got you beat. Um, our first, uh, he is 11 now and he, um, the, <sighs> It wasn't, a, it wasn't a planned C-section, but uh-huh. we ended up at the emergency vet because our cat had an asthma attack, which apparently they can do. Yes, I know that now. Can. Um, and we were there from probably like one in the morning till like four in the morning. And then we got home and her water broke. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's been 11 years. So it's just starting to be funny now. <laughs> oh, man. As a cat asthma attack. And then, yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. My pig has uh, anxiety, so apparently. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a, a pot belly. I have a mini pot belly pig. You got to lead with that. Yeah. 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 She she was fine up until like the age of three, and she's got anxiety, and she's kind of a bitch to be around. <laughs> Calm down, or you become ham. <laughs> <laughs> she is ham. She's going ham on y'all. 